0: You are listening to New Covenant Fellowship. Right,
1: you don't have to answer aloud. Just kind of think through the answer in your mind, okay? Fill in the blank. If I were the head of the household, I would do things differently. If I were the head of the household, I would fill in the blank. Alright, what about this one? If I were the boss, if I were the boss, I would do things differently. If I were the boss, I would fill in the blank. But certainly you would do something a little bit differently than your boss, though. Well, how would you do it differently? If you were running the show, how would you run the department? Right, or, or better yet, fill in the blank. If I were the CEO of my entire company, I would run this company in a radically different way. I would make all kinds of changes. Fill in the blank. If I were the CEO of my company, I would what? All right, here's, here's one that a few of you might have an opinion on, if you haven't had one yet. If I were the president of the United States of America, I would fill in the blank. All right, last one. If I ruled the world. Fill in the blank. If I ruled the world, I would. Now your answer may differ from mine to some degree, but if you're anything like me, then your answer would be something like, I would never lose. I would... I would never lose an argument. I would never lose a fight. I would never lose a game, unless it was intentional to my daughters to make them feel better about themselves. I would never lose my keys. I would never lose my wallet. I would never lose ground. My favorite football team would never lose. I would never lose my temper. I would never lose a friendship. I would never lose a loved one. I would never lose my health. I would never lose my marbles. I would never lose. I would ensure... That I had the sweetest of circumstances if, if I ruled the world. If I ruled the world, I would ensure that I would always score, that I would always gain, that I would always win. That is, if I ruled the world. Notice the if. Not since I ruled the world, but if I ruled the world, because You and I, we we don't rule the world. Jehovah rules the world. And there are times when Jehovah allows circumstances that if we ruled the world, we would certainly not allow for ourselves. But we don't. Jehovah does. And he allows certain circumstances. At times, sour circumstances. Stinky circumstances. And sometimes those circumstances lead us to a place of sorrow, sadness, to a pit of despair, to a deep depression. Now this morning we're going to take a look at a man and his story. A man who had everything. He had everything to lose. He faced some extremely sour circumstances. He experienced a great loss. Turn with me in your Bibles to Job chapter 1. We're going to learn from the text how to defeat the depression that is caused by sour circumstances. Now, let me set the context for you. So it takes place in the land of Uz. In the land of Uz, there was a man named Job. He was upright. He was blameless. He was a man who feared God and shunned Evil. Job. And Job, he had. That's right. Job, he had seven. Da- he had seven sons and three daughters. He had uh, seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen, and five hundred donkeys. Okay. He had a great number of servants. I mean, there was nobody like him. He was the greatest among all the people in the east. I mean, this man had it going on. He had everything family, wealth, possessions. Now, um, his sons and daughters, they would take turns holding feasts in their house, getting together and eating and drinking. And the sons would invite uh, their sisters over to to eat and drink with them. And when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early the next morning, he would wake up and offer a sacrifice, a burnt offering for each of them, thinking perhaps one of my children has cursed God in his or her hearts. And this was Job's regular custom, his regular practice. Well, one day, the sons of God came to present themselves before Jehovah. Now, your translation may say angels. Now, these sons of God, they may be angelic beings. They may be human beings. Okay, The text is not clear. But the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And also, an adversary or the adversary was among them. Before the Lord. Now, your Bible, if unless you're reading out of the Young's Literal Translation, will say Satan, which is uh, simply a transliteration of the Hebrew word ha which simply means adversary. Now, again, we don't know if this adversary is a human being or an angelic being, and I'm not here to argue that this morning. We simply know that there is an adversary amongst the sons of God presenting himself before Jehovah, and Jehovah says to him, literally, "Have you set your heart against my servant Job because?" He is upright and blameless, a man who fears God and shuns the evil. And this adversary responds to Jehovah and says, does he, <laughs> of course he fears God. I mean, does he not have a, you have set a hedge of protection around him and blessed his hands and everything he does. I mean, his herds and his flocks have spread throughout the land. But strike out, strike your hand against him and everything he has. And surely Job will curse you to your face. So Jehovah says, very well then, everything he has is in your hands. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. So one day when Job's sons and daughters are feasting in the oldest son's house, this servant comes up to Job and he's like, okay, you're not going to believe this, okay? Some dudes just came up in here and, and, and they, they raided the place and they took all – okay – The the donkeys were grazing nearby, the oxen who were plowing, and and these guys, they just took them all, okay? Yes, all 500 yoke of oxen, all 500 donkeys. They made off with them. Servants tried to stop them, but they put all the servants to the sword, and I'm I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And these words were still on his lips, and then yet another servant comes along, and he says, Okay, Joe, listen, dude, you're not going to believe this, but... But the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you that's right, burned up all seven thousand of the sheep. It was crazy. And all the servants and Okay. And those words were still on his lips. He didn't even get to finish telling Job what was happening. And then yet another servant comes and says, Listen, Job, you're not gonna believe this, but look, man, these dudes came in, you know, and swept through and and they they made off with your camel. Yes, all 3,000 of them. And, and the servants tried to stop them, but they put all the servants to the sword. And look, I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. Those words were still on his lips. He didn't even get all the words out of his mouth. And then another servant comes along and says, Job, I have the worst news ever. Your sons and daughters were feasting in the oldest son's house. And a wind swept in from the desert. Struck the four corners of the house,
0: and it collapsed on them, and they're dead.
1: I'm the only one who has escaped. Now put yourself in Job's shoes. How would you respond? Let's look at how Job responds. Verse. 20-22, 20-22, through 22. at this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, then he fell to the ground in worship, and said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, may the name of the Lord be praised. And all this, Job did not sin by charging God. Wow! Talk about sour circumstances. Talk about stinky circumstances. Job lost all. And how did he respond? Well, we know that Job was an upright man, a blameless man who feared God and shunned evil. We know that Job had holy habits. Thus, Job was prepared. You see, godly pre-actions lead to godly reactions. Job lived a lifestyle of worship. He lived a lifestyle of of prayer and praise. He lived a life of sacrifice. I mean, he thought in his heart, I love these children of mine, so what if they curse God in their hearts? I'll make sacrifices for them. I mean, we see the love of Job. We see that he lived a righteous life, a life that was filled with holy habits. And therefore, his holy habits, his godly pre-actions, prepared his heart for a godly reaction when faced with with sour circumstances. He was prepared to worship depression out of his way. And when you and I practice holy habits, when we live a lifestyle of worship, a lifestyle of praise, a lifestyle of prayer, A lifestyle in which we saturate ourselves with the word of God, the truth of the scripture. When we surround ourselves with godly people who speak words of truth and love and edification and encouragement into our lives, then we are preparing ourselves to worship depression out of our way. We're preparing our hearts. We're preparing our mind with the proper perspective, the foundational paradigm, the biblical worldview, out of which we can say, may the name of the Lord be praised. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away. If if we're spending our days, I mean, just think about it. If, If this is all we did as far as prayer is concerned, but with every morsel we put into our mouth, We said, thank you, Lord. I mean, I didn't come out of my mama's womb 33 years ago with this sandwich in my hand.
0: You give.
1: You take away. Thank you for what you have given. If we live a lifestyle in which we are thankful for what God has given, then we've got a perspective that say, he gives. Not, I'm entitled to. I came out of the womb with. God owes me. But these godly pre actions of worship, prayer, praise, thanksgiving prepare our hearts. Godly pre actions lead to godly reactions, preparing us to worship depression out of our way, to look depression in the face and say, checkmate. Our perspective will be that everything I have is a gift from the giver. Everything that I have is a loaner from the owner. And while it is in my possession, I can't control when it is taken away from me. All that I can control is my stewardship, how well I manage these gifts while they are in my charge. Yes, my family is a gift. Yes, my job is a gift. Yes, my house, my possessions, they're a gift. The clothing I'm wearing, Jesse is a giver of good gifts. Yes, they're all a gift and God gives to you to give through you to give to others and everything that we have is a loaner from the owner and all we can control is how well we manage those gifts. But he gives ultimately and he takes away and we will be able to say naked I came from my mother's womb naked I will depart all right, back to Job. I mean, talk about sour circumstances. I mean, really. Can, can you imagine? Can you imagine? You see how well he loved those children of his and to what length he went to protect them, making sacrifices on their behalf just in case they cursed God in their hearts and then to have them taken away in a flash in a twinkling of an eye. I mean, it... Couldn't get any worse for Job, right? I mean, this is as bad as it gets. But now it gets worse. If you move into chapter 2, you see that on another day, the sons of God were presenting themselves before Jehovah. And once again, this adversary is there. And Jehovah says, where have you been? Where'd you come from? I've been roaming throughout the earth and going back and forth in it. And Jehovah says to him, have you set, literally, have you set your heart against my servant Job because he is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil? And he still maintains his integrity even though you incited me against him without cause? That's right, my servant Job. response of the adversary is, yeah, man, I mean, come on, skin for skin. I mean, a man will give all that he has in exchange for his life. I mean, possessions, Strike out your hand against him. Strike his flesh and his bones. Then he will surely curse you to your face. Jehovah says, very well then. The man is in your hands. Only spare his life. So the adversary went out from the presence of the Lord and inflicted Job with painful sores from his toe to the, sole, to, to the top of his head. And so Job sitting among the ashes with a broken piece of pottery scraping himself. And his wife. Ladies, if you want to take notes here, great example in Job's wife of what not to do. (laughs) Fail block right here. (laughs) (laughs) Job's wife says. Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. Thanks, babe, for the encouragement. That was awesome. Job's response? You're talking like a foolish woman. And the Hebrew there denotes the idea of moral deficiency. You're talking like a woman who has no moral compass. Shall we accept only good from the hand of God and not trouble as well? Job recognizes that God is sovereign over
0: circumstances.
1: I mean, can you imagine? I mean, Job has already lost his possessions, his wealth, his children, his servants. I mean... Speculation here, but Job being an upright man who fears God and shuns evil, I would imagine that these servants weren't simply numbers to him. But he probably lost a few friends in this casualty, in this situation. He lost a lot. And now, painful sores, head to toe. Now, have you ever had a painful sore? A, one, a painful sore. You ever had like one mosquito bite? One ant bite, mm-hmm. one ingrown hair, one zit in that spot where it just it hurts, a cyst, a boil, it's one one painful sore, just one. That's enough to get you a little bit, right? Two, three, head to toe. Ah. I mean, seriously, let's put ourselves in Job's position. In fact, let's just identify with Job a little bit more. Let's make his story our story. He had everything, and thus he had everything to lose. You and I may not have 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camel and 500 oxen and 500 donkeys and a ton of servants and 10 kids, but we have stuff to lose, right? Don't you have something that you could lose? Do you have a maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend? A family? You have a house? You have a car? You have a job? Do you have your health? Can you walk? Can you run? Can you breathe without a machine? Can you play sports? Well, we have things that we can lose. We have things which, if we lost, would be painful to us. Because in a flash, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, God can take those things from us. We can lose our boyfriend or girlfriend. We can lose our family. We can lose our job. We can lose our car. We can lose all of our possessions. Our house could go up in flames. Get flooded. A tornado could come through and wipe away everything that we have. We could get in the car wreck and end up an amputee or a paraplegic or in, just in a wheelchair for the rest of our life. We, we have things that we enjoy, whether possessions, health, wealth, prosperity, family, friends, whatever. We have things that if we lost them, we would suffer in our soul, we would feel pain, agony, sorrow, sadness. We would probably find ourselves in a pit of despair. We may find ourselves depressed if we lost certain things. Let us identify with Job. Consider losing all. I mean, if we ruled the world, then that wouldn't happen, right? If, if I ruled the world, I would certainly not allow for such sour circumstances. But I don't. I don't get to dictate my circumstances. God does. He is sovereign over my circumstances. Job recognizes that. Thus, his response, even in the midst of his wife's excellent counsel. You mean, still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. And like a foolish woman, shall we willingly accept good from the hand of Jehovah and not trouble? Why do you think that Job so easily and readily responded with such a God-centered attitude, with such a God-centered response, so readily and willingly? Well, once again, I believe godly pre-actions lead to godly reactions. Job lived a lifestyle, had a paradigm, had a view in place that when sour circumstances came and depression reared its ugly head, Job was able to say, check me. Job was ready to worship depression out of his way. Job had prepared his heart with godly preactions and thus had a godly reaction can you imagine if job did not can you imagine if job did not prepare his heart with such godly reactions imagine if job lived a life of practical atheism if job lived a life of utter self-centeredness completely self-absorbed lived entirely for his own pleasure for his own self-gratification, didn't spend time in prayer, didn't spend time praising and thanking God for his gifts, if Job didn't make sacrifices, if Job lived a life that was completely self-centered, do you think that Job would be prepared to respond in this way? No, because just as godly preactions lead to godly reactions, so also self-centered preactions lead to self-centered reactions. Reactions. If I'm living my life completely devoid of God and interaction with Him and fellowship with Him and fellowship with His people and time in His Word and time in prayer and time in praise and time in worship, if I'm living my life devoid of those things, well, my response will probably be devoid of those things. If Job lived self-absorbed, self-centered life then uh, his response might have been right in line with his wife you know what you're right I mean look at me I'm blameless and upright walking in righteousness here I don't deserve this God owes me big time how could he do this to me then at the end of Job 2 we read in verse 11 and following that Job's three friends that when they, being Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, Jesse goes, uh, names of your first three born children. Duh. <laughs> when they heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. They sat with him for seven days. And during these seven days, his three friends said the most loving, wise, and encouraging things they said throughout the entire book. They said nothing. Then in Job chapter 3, Job finally speaks, he finally breaks the silence, and then the next 36 chapters are a dialogue between Job and his three friends, in which his three friends try to counsel him. You know what? Who has ever heard of the wicked perishing? I mean, or the, the righteous perishing, the wicked perish. I mean, obviously, if these things are happening to you, Job, then there's sin in your life somewhere. I mean, if if... Let us help you find it. I mean, surely there's some, you've done something to incur God's wrath here. So, I mean, you know, you reap what you sow, and, you know, the righteous never perish. I mean, so, yeah. But then at the end of the book, we find that God says to uh, Eliphaz in the epilogue in Job 42, 7 and following, He says, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. You see, they didn't have the big picture. They didn't see the grand scheme of things. Yes, generally speaking, you reap what you sow. Generally speaking, blessed are those who walk in righteousness. Yes, generally speaking, the wicked perish. But there are exceptions to the rules. They didn't, rec- they didn't understand that Job was the exception to the rule. He hadn't done anything wrong. His circumstances were stinky just because. They didn't get that. And so God puts them in their place and says, I'm angry with you guys. Because you haven't spoken correctly about me, as my servant Job has. So now, take these animals and make a sacrifice, and I'll make Job pray for you. Then I'll forgive you. We learn much from Job's friends about how to counsel those who are facing depressing circumstances. At times, the best thing that we can say is nothing. The best thing that we can do is just be there. And in my humble opinion, we shouldn't offer counsel unless they ask. In my humble opinion. And if they ask, I feel pretty strongly about this, that the words that come out of your mouth, the words that come out of my mouth need to be nothing less then absolute compassion I mean lest we repeat the folly of Job's friends Oh, you reap what you sow have you considered a lifestyle change I mean what may have caused this who wants to hear that when they're in the pit of sorrow when they're struggling in the pit of despair when they're battling depression who wants to hear that I mean when you got friends like that who needs enemies Sometimes the best thing that we can say is nothing. The best thing that we can do is simply be there. So after seven days, Job breaks the silence. And at the beginning of Job 3, we read after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish. Skip down to verse 11. He says, why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? down to verse 16 or why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child like an infant who never saw the light of day well Job's initial response was very God centered but here after seven days it seems that he was in this downward spiral found himself in a pit of despair struggling with a deep dark depression what happened Over the course of those seven days, something happened. Now, this is simply speculation, but I would venture to say that it had something to do with where his head was. I would venture to say that by day seven, it was no longer, he gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I would venture to say that it was no longer Shall I accept only good from the head of God and not trouble as well? I would venture to say that it had shifted, morphed into something more like, if I ruled the world, I believe it had shifted towards something more like,
0: why, God?
1: I mean, have I not lived a righteous life? Walked before you? in uprightness have I not loved others taken care of my family have I not have I not served you well what have I done to deserve this I mean all of my servants all of my camel all my oxen and my donkeys and my sheep and my kids and now these painful sores from head to toe I mean when it rains it pours. Why this dark cloud over me, God? Why? His perspective seems to have shifted from his initial response of, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. Blessed be the name of the Lord. To now, why are you taking away from me all of these things? It has shifted from, shall I accept good only from God and not trouble? To, why the trouble? Where is the good? His perspective shifted. I propose to you that if Joe had maintained the mentality that he had in chapters 1 and 2, then he would have maintained the victory over depression. He would have continually defeated depression. But that is easier said than done. I don't know what it was like to be Job, to experience what he experienced. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't experience a deep sorrow, a deep ...dark depression when faced with such circumstances, when we face such losses. It's no small thing to lose everything. I mean, depression as the result of stinky circumstances is not a sin. It's not a sign of weakness. It's nothing that you and I should feel ashamed of or condemned for. But if you and I want to have the victory, if you and I want to defeat such depression then the key lies in a certain mentality, a proper perspective, a certain viewpoint. It requires a certain amount of reason and logic. But the problem is that depression is highly emotional. And when we are faced with depression, when we're faced with depressing circumstances, we tend to be more emotional than rational. So what do we do? Oh, well, we just get you know our three friends, Bill, Dad, and Eliphaz, and so forth, to just come and counsel us. No, we counsel our own soul. We preach to ourselves. We preach to ourselves, and we remind ourselves, "Hey, David, you are not God. Jehovah is, and He is far more qualified for the position." We preach to ourselves. David, God is sovereign over circumstances and he is to be trusted because he is faithful. Time and time again, we know that God has proven himself to be trustworthy. We preach to ourselves, though, David, if you ruled the world, you would not have allowed for such circumstances. But you don't rule the world, he does and he has allowed for such circumstances. Trust Him in the midst of those circumstances. We preach unto ourselves. I preach to myself. Hey David, remember, you came out of your mother's womb naked with nothing. And you will depart from this world in the same way, with nothing. David, everything that you have ever owned, everything that you have ever had from your wife to your children, to your house, to your car, to your clothes, to your health, to your wealth, to your prosperity anything that you've ever had, David Boone, has been a gift from the giver. And don't forget that the giver is greater than the gifts. Everything that you have ever had, everything that you ever will have is a loaner from the owner. I preach this to myself and remind myself of a proper perspective, a biblical paradigm, a God-centered world view. I remind myself, David, he gave and he has the right to take it away. I have to remind myself, David, God is sovereign over circumstances. Will you accept only good from the hand of Jehovah and not trouble as well. When we're in the midst of depressing circumstances and we tend to be more emotional than rational, we preach these things to ourselves. We counsel our own souls. And we lead up to those moments, don't forget, with godly Pre-actions with holy habits, a lifestyle of prayer and praise and worship, saturated in the scriptures, surrounded in fellowship with the people of God who are loving and kind and compassionate and encouraging. Godly preactions lead to godly reactions, preparing our hearts to worship depression out of our way. Now, even when we emerge victorious, even when we defeat depression, That does not mean that there will not remain the sting of loss. Okay? It doesn't negate the pain. The pain may remain to some degree or another. It's hard to forget that kind of stuff, right? I mean, we may never be the same we may forever be changed. We will experience a restoration of joy. We will experience a healing. But much like that scar that is more sensitive to the touch than the rest of our epidermis, there may be a little piece of our heart that's a little more tender where pain remains due to loss. Now, Job lived a long time ago in a land far, far away. I mean, Where in the heck is us anyway, right? And who measures wealth and prosperity in terms of 7,000 sheep these days? And who has servants these days, right? And, and, And who makes animal sacrifices just in case their sons or daughters curse God in their hearts? I mean, there's a lot of things in the story of Job that you and I may not be able to relate to. Maybe a little remote to us. Well, I'd like to share with you a story of a man that we might be able to identify with a little more readily, 2,000 years, I'm sorry, thousands of years after the story of Job. Horatio Stafford, 1828 to 1888. He was a wealthy Chicago lawyer. He had a beautiful home, a wife, four kids, and a son. He was very successful. And at the height of his financial and professional success, he and his wife experienced the tragic loss of their young son. Shortly thereafter, in the great Chicago fires, practically all of his investments, as far as his real estate investments are concerned, were burned up and destroyed. So he he planned a much-needed vacation for his wife and he and his daughters to kind of recover from the tragedy. And so he sent his wife and his daughters on a boat to England ahead of him. He had some unexpected last-minute business to tend to in Chicago. Shortly afterwards, he received word that his family's boat experienced a collision in which all four of his daughters drowned. His wife was the only survivor. So, Spafford, heavy-hearted, boarded a boat to meet his grieving wife in England. And it was on the way to England, on this boat, that he penned the now famous words, It is well with my soul. Read you a few stanzas. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord,
0: O my soul.
1: For me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pain shall be mine. For in death, As in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. Even when we perceive that all has been stripped away, the real perspective on our stinky circumstances is that in the midst of all that has been taken The fact remains that much more has been given. For God has given His only Son so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. The fact remains that Jesus Christ was pierced for our transgressions,
0: He was crushed.
1: For our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray and God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Not counting our sins against us, but punishing Jesus Christ with the wrath that we deserve. Therefore... God does not look upon us, condemning us for our sins. We do not feel the heavy hand of God's wrath upon us. Rather, our sin is removed from us, as far as the east is from the west. God sees us as righteous, as holy. We are forgiven, and thus we have fellowship with God, communion with God, favor with God. We deserve His wrath. We deserve death. We don't deserve the life that we have in Jesus. So when we're tempted to say, God, I don't deserve this. These circumstances stink. Let's go way up and get a heavenly perspective on the true nature of our circumstances and what we truly deserve and don't deserve. We don't deserve God's grace. That's what makes it grace. Undeserved mercy. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve death. But the gift of God, the grace, has given us the greatest gift of all in Jesus Christ. And remember, friends, the giver is greater than the gift. So when our circumstances stink, When depression rears its ugly head and says, put up your dukes, hits us with a couple of left jabs, a right cross, a left hook, and then a right uppercut, throws us down into a deep, dark pit of despair and laughs at us, we can prepare our souls. We have the tools with which we can prepare our hearts minds with a proper perspective, a biblical worldview, a God centeredness out of which we can say with Job, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And though all the gifts are taken, we still have the presence of the giver. And we can say with Spafford, it is well, it is well with my soul. Amen. Amen.